Well, welcome, and it's good to see you uh, this morning. It's a delight. And if you're a guest among us, uh, we're honored uh, that you've chosen to join us for worship uh, today. And we're nearing the end of Mark's uh, gospel, and the pace is going to be faster and faster and more furious as we move along. Today we're doing the entirety of chapter uh, 13. So if you're able, uh, uh, please uh, stand for the reading of God's word. And you may find it helpful to have a Bible open, uh, but if not, just take, take this in as best you can. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, your uh, word uh, will uh, do us no good unless you send your spirit and unless you grant us uh, hearts that are soft, minds that are receptive, ears that are attentive. And so we ask for these gifts as we uh, uh, read and as the one who speaks uh, proclaims its meaning. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. And as he, that is Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, And John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. 
And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on your guard, I have told you these things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. You may return to your seats. Light and shadow. Life seems to alternate between these. There are just times in uh, life when it's just full of light. Um, Everything seems good. It's, it's pleasant. Plans are accomplished. Dreams are uh, realized. And you're just hopeful about the future. But then life inevitably turns hard. It's difficult. And it often gets more difficult still. And things seem uncertain. And then there are those moments when your world falls apart. Your hopes for the future collapse. Uh, The future seems darkful, there's just clouds on the horizon. Jesus' disciples are about to have this very experience. For three years, as they've been with him, their hopes have just risen and risen. They see uh, God bringing about a future that they uh, know only he can bring. But before the week is out, Jesus will be arrested and crucified And despair will swallow up not only them, but their hopes. Now, chapter 13, the chapter we're in, is a bridge. It bridges uh, chapters 11 and 12 with what follows, the very end of the gospel. It bridges Jesus' announcement that the temple is going to be destroyed, uh, which he used a parable of a miracle, and he enacted a parable in the temple, turning over the tables, with his trial and coming uh, death. At his trial, 
one of the witnesses will testify that Jesus said, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. In fact, these uh, words Mark records as being used as to mock uh, Jesus on the cross. John records these words being said from Jesus, and he adds that Jesus was speaking of his own body. In other words, with these words, Jesus uh, was predicting his own death and his resurrection, and that God's new future, a new era, would come to pass through it. The destruction of the temple and Jesus' death and resurrection are linked. They're intertwined. Now, we want to have certainty about the future. We especially want it in those moments when our world falls apart. We want to know that there's going to be an end uh, to this time. Uh, If we know that, we feel like, well, we can at least hang on till we get there and perhaps even have some peace in the midst of it. Jesus offers us certainty in what he says here about the future. It's certainty about the ultimate future. (coughs) And this alone actually is the only uh, kind of certainty that can actually uh, fuel endurance and awaken hope within us. Now there are three views, three ways of trying to understand this passage. The first says that what Jesus is talking about is just the destruction of the temple, which will happen about 40 years from when he says these things. The second says that this is entirely about Jesus' second coming. And each of these ways is partially true. But they can't make good sense of the whole. And so there's a third view that says that both the near future and which is the end of the stone temple and the distant future, the second return of Christ, are interwoven here. This is the very nature of biblical uh, prophecy, that uh, events far and near look like they're close together in the prophet. It's kind of the way you might experience in mountain range. If you're, you're in a certain view or perhaps up on the ridge, it might uh, seem that the other peaks are close by until you get to the top of the first one and you start down and you see that the next peak is a long way uh, away. And so that's sort of how uh, the prophet's messages are. They see as very close together two things that are actually separated by a significant amount of time. Now, let's just begin at the beginning here. It's late Wednesday afternoon uh, of the week Jesus is going to be crucified. And Jesus is leaving the temple, and one of his disciples comments on uh, the massive uh, uh, character of this uh, temple. Uh, What a magnificent building, uh, he says. And he's not exaggerating. The temple uh, was the largest structure of its kind in the ancient world. covered 40 acres. Um, uh, the southwest corner of it uh, rose 15 stories from the Kidron uh, Valley. Um, the stones, we're told, were massive, and some of them were as big as a railroad boxcar, weighing over a million uh, pounds. And it was covered uh, with large plates of gold on the side. 
And so if the sun uh, was right at a distance, it looked like a snow-capped mountain. It's an extraordinary, impressive uh, sight. And Jesus uh, replies, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone is going to be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, the disciples who, this is pretty unimaginable to them that this is about to happen, they immediately want to know, well, what's the sign this is about to take uh, place? And what they're asking for is a roadmap of the future. And Jesus doesn't give it to them. He begins to speak of various things that um, could be called signs, but actually none of them are useful in setting a timetable. He doesn't give them the insider confidential information that they actually want, but he does give them what they need. He gives them instructions so that they will be discerning. When the world falls apart, we need to be discerning. Not just them, but we too. Now, we live in a, on a moment of time that's just so different than when I was uh, born, not quite 70 years ago. The world is very unstable today and uncertain. Um, the institutions that we thought uh, could never crumble when I was a child, uh, they're cracking the very uh, foundational values that were Judeo-Christian no longer have the pervasive influence they once did in our land. And even the ones that are named often are understood in a way very different than we uh, understand them. And Jesus uh, is saying to us, in the moment that we live, in the midst of the uncertainty and uh, the loss of faith and all, really, all the institutions that matter uh, for life, that we're to be discerning. He says, don't be alarmed. And then he rattles off a list of things. He says, false uh, Christ. Uh, they're going to they're gonna come and they're going to be very impressive. They're going to have credentials and power, and people are going to be drawn uh, to them. Uh, And and he hints what's true today. There's just going to be a multiplicity of spiritualities and religions uh, that are empty and false, and people are going to embrace them. He speaks of wars and rumors of wars and comments such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And in addition to international power struggles, there will be earthquakes and famines, but they're not to be taken as signs of the end. They're actually only the beginning of labor uh, pains. The baby hasn't arrived uh, yet when these things are taking uh, place. And then he says suffering along with persecution is coming for everyone who names the name of Christ. And he very explicitly says that the leaders of the synagogues and the Jewish uh, nation uh, will persecute those who uh, steadfastly confess Christ uh, Jesus. And of course, this is what we see in the book of Acts. We see the church persecuted, and Jesus also says here that that persecution will actually serve to advance 
the gospel. And that too we see in that book. Jesus is describing in advance of what takes place in the next 40 years. The things that led up to the Jewish revolt in Palestine in AD 66 that ended in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple. But he's also saying that these events characterize life until the end of human history. All these things. That's why they're not signs of the end. All of these things have continued since the temple uh, fell. And what this means, among many things, is that current events are not an accurate guide to the end of human history. And there are lots of American Christians, I can't speak about what Christians in the rest of the world do, who they just enjoy taking some current event and telling us what God is doing through it. So I can remember when Hurricane uh, Katrina was hitting the Gulf Coast and a couple of television evangelists announced uh, with absolute certainty this, this was God's judgment on the nation, only to a few months later retract their statement. I'm old enough to remember when people said that Gorbachev, because of a birthmark, was the Antichrist. Now, in case you don't know, he's in his grave at this point, and um, he, he hasn't managed to live up to that expectation. <laughs> and there, just, there have been so many moments like this in American uh, history. Jesus is telling us these kinds of events. We can't read these kinds of events as if we knew what the end was here. But he also adds we shouldn't expect to be rescued from troubles. Now, we have very comfortable lives, and there's a whole strain of teaching about uh, the end of history that says Christians will be exempt from persecution and trial. They'll be removed from all of this. There is nothing in the New Testament that suggests such a thing. Uh, The New Testament tells us again and again to expect to be hated, to expect uh, to have the world's rejection and hostility. Jesus says we have to endure uh, through that. And then uh, Jesus uh, announces in verses 14 to 23, if you still have your Bible open, the beginning of the end. And he's speaking as a prophet. And he says, uh, he says here, this is the big picture, he says that the end of the temple is a preview of the end of the world. And then he quotes the book of Daniel, quotes a very strange verse that says, in part, the abomination that causes desolation. Now, the word abomination suggests something that is repugnant to God. Desolation suggests a place, and taken together, they refer to the temple. Because of an abomination, the temple will be left deserted. God's holy people will abandon it. Now, this was first fulfilled, this prophecy of Daniel, in 167 B.C. when Antioch uh, uh, Epiphanes came and he conquered Jerusalem and he set up an altar to Zeus in the temple and there he sacrificed a pig. Hardly anything more offensive he might have uh, done. 
Um, but this prophecy uh, wasn't limited to that. Jesus is also connecting it to the coming uh, destruction of the temple under uh, Titus. And the warnings about fleeing actually have a great meaning against the background of what would take place 40 years later. The Romans would engage in a siege around Jerusalem, and hundreds of thousands of people would die of starvation. You would want to avoid that if you could. But that's not the fulfillment of uh, Jesus' words in all their fullness. In fact, Mark turns right here in verse 14, and he writes this, let the reader understand. He interrupts his account of Jesus' speech to say, to you, pay attention here. It's really important for you to hear this carefully. And he adds the word, he. He's telling us what the nature of that abomination is. It's a person. And this is the Antichrist that Paul writes about in uh, his second letter to the Thessalonians. And Jesus warns that toward the end of human history, it will be a time where there is a strong delusion. Uh, uh, there will be a great uh, believing of lies. There will be false Christs and false prophets who will exercise supernatural powers. They'll perform signs and wonders uh, publicly and persuade a vast number of people that they uh, are indeed uh, some divine manifestation. And it will be so powerful that it could deceive God's elect, except God will keep them. He will keep them from deception. He will guard his people. The main thing you need to hear, don't get lost in all the details, the end of the temple it, it foreshadows the end of the world. And then Jesus speaks of the signs of his coming, the unmistakable signs in verses 24 to 27. He says, when he comes, no one will miss it. Uh, until he comes, no one should be misled. And he, he, he adds... His disciples should not be distracted and diverted from faithful living by speculation about signs and wonders. Jesus says cosmic signs will accompany his return. There will be a total cosmic collapse. When the sun, moon, and stars collapse, you won't need to read about it on the internet or cable TV. Now, in 2017, where we lived, there was a total solar eclipse. And if you were outside in the middle of the day, and it became night, and the electric lights, the photoelectric lights turned on, you would realize something significant had happened. This is going to be far more than that. There will be no question when this takes uh, place. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man will appear. And he uses uh, an image from the Old Testament of the cloud, the glory cloud. Jesus says he's going to come in his glory in the glory cloud, which is the very presence of God. And he uses all this Old Testament imagery here uh, to say, the things I'm saying to you are rooted in the prophecies of the Old Testament. And uh, he then 
uh, adds these uh, words. These things will most certainly take place. This is the sure word of God. Now, this is revealed to us. Why? Well, to fortify our faith. This teaching, this vision of the future imparts grit. It gives us stamina and enables us to endure. This knowledge of a certain future is to fortify us when times are dark, whether that's in our personal lives or in the world around us. And we, Jesus says, must be faithful and alert uh, when it looks like the world's coming apart. Verses 28, Jesus says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and pulls out its leaves. You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very great gates. Uh, Jesus Jesus is uh, referring to the fig tree, and he says, you know, it's spring when the leaves come out. We would say, you know, when the daffodils and the forsythia bloom, you know, it's spring, and summer's around the corner. That's what he's saying by the fig tree. You know that summer's around the corner. In other words, these things are imminent. They're imminent. They could happen at any uh, moment. Now, these words, Jesus uh, says in, in 28 to, to 30, all connect to the temple, but they also all connect to the second coming. What Jesus is giving us is a promise and not a clock, not a calendar. Now, Jesus has always had very clever disciples who try to work their way around what he says in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but only, and not the Son, but only the Father. What he's saying is, don't try to figure this out. Don't make a chart. Don't create any timelines. Don't sit around and think that you can interpret uh, current events and know when the second coming is coming. It's going to be a surprise. It's, it's like what the Allies did in order to bring about D-Day. They did every, of course, the Germans knew D-Day was coming. They just didn't know when, and they didn't know where. Well, this is going to be far more of a surprise. It's utterly secret. Uh, and Jesus has always had clever disciples who are sure that they could figure this out. In fact, I don't think I can count on both hands the number of times uh, people in churches have read something and come to me and said to me, we know, not the day and hour, but the week or the month. Jesus is saying you can't know that. And it means you can't prepare for this. So, you know, if... If you hear there's going to be a blizzard, and uh, it's absolutely certain there's going to be a blizzard, the snow is falling 20 inches in northern Virginia, then you can prepare some, right? You get out in your car and hop to the grocery store and get what you think you might need till the roads are clear. Or if, uh, you know, uh, you keep up with business news and you hear there's going to be a recession, you could rebalance your portfolio. Or, you know, if you know that you might lose your job, then you 
set aside money to prepare for that. But the sole preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus is watchfulness and faithfulness. And then Jesus gives a couple of many parables. One of them is a man who goes away on a trip. We are like servants who've been left with a task. Jesus has left us with assignments to be faithful in our discipleship, in all that it means, to be good stewards of the one precious life he's entrusted to us. This looks different in details for every one of you. Every one of you uh, has different, unique people you're in relationship with, uh, different dimensions to that calling. Um, If your parents uh, are not alive anymore, being a son or daughter to them looks different than when they're uh, alive. If you're married, it looks like one thing. If you're single, it looks like another. All of us are called uh, to live out the calling of being Christians Uh, walking together in the local church. And all of us have been given the responsibility to faithfully uh, testify to Jesus Christ, to our neighbors, those people that we live, work, and play with. And Jesus warns repeatedly of the danger of falling asleep. And you see, if we had a clock or a timetable, and we knew that it was three years away, we would procrastinate. We'd think, well, you know, I'll get around to those things when we get closer to the time. And then Jesus adds this. He says, it's like a man going away on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeepers to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. The servants experience their master as absent. And that's our experience of Jesus Christ. He hasn't returned. In one sense, we experience him as absent. And what this means is that we should long for, not just prepare, but long for his return. And this means that we have to shift our hope from the world to Jesus' second coming. So let me, let me give you a couple of illustrations of what this actually looks like. So in AD 410, the, Rome, the city of Rome, the capital of the Christian world in the West, was sacked. And for Christians... It was just unimaginable that Rome, the eternal city, could be destroyed. In their minds, the cause of Christ and Rome were intimately intertwined. There would be no cause of Christ without the city of Rome. And a very reluctant bishop named Augustine, living in North Africa, saw how the church was shaken. And over a period of more than a decade, he produced... uh, Uh, one of his most important books called The City of God and the City of Man. The City of Man was Rome. And uh, here's a a two-sentence summary. God's city is eternal, and it isn't linked to Rome. God wasn't ever committed to Rome, 
and his plans for the church's survival do not depend on Rome. The end of the empire was not the end of Christianity in the West. Now fast forward uh, to 1981. I'm in modern church history uh, hearing uh, Dr. Claire Davis uh, uh, speak. And he took us uh, through modern church history begins right after the Reformation. Some people think that's ancient history, but actually that's, <laughs> that's still relatively recent in human history. And it goes all the way through the 17th, 18th, 19th century. Well, the 18th and 19th centuries were centuries of enormous missionary expansion to the world. And at the same time, by 1980, uh, the decline of America was obvious to almost anybody who observed what was taking place. It was the twilight of the American civilization. And in one class, he commented something to this effect. He said, it's hard to imagine that the global missionary cause of the church could continue without a strong church in America. And um, what he meant was that, well, in, in 1980, there were about 430,000 Protestant evangelical missionaries working in the world. Um, and, uh, excuse me, yes, in the whole world. And 88% of them came from the global north, from the United States and northern uh, Europe. That meant only 12% came from the rest of the world. But today, while they're roughly the same number of missionaries, 47% of them come from the global south. The future of the expansion of Christianity does not rest on the future of the church in America. We're in danger of thinking that it does. Not that we shouldn't care about the American church. We just need to remember that institutions will fall. Jesus told us this. And we should not be alarmed. Rather, instead, we should be watchful and we should be faithful. Jesus warns of the danger of being spiritually sleepy, and Peter warns the same thing at the end of his letter. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are awaiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We ought not to sleep. We shouldn't fix our hope on something that's earthly. Nothing earthly is God committed to, to stand. Instead of sleeping, we should be uh, pressing on spiritually, seeking to grow and make progress. We should be spotless. There should be purity that characterizes our lives. We should be blameless. We should have such relationships with other people that people can't find fault with us. And we should be at peace with one another. Sir Ernest Shackleton was one of the great explorers, the Arctic, Antarctic explorers. And on his most uh, famous exploration, uh, uh, he, after a long period of time, managed to get off the Antarctic and to get his men to Elephant Island. 
And he left them uh, there and proceeded on to, I believe it's St. George Island, where he knew there was a whaling uh, station in order to get help to rescue his men. Well, he was greatly uh, delayed. In fact, three times he tried to reach them after reaching the whaling station, and uh, he was prevented by ice. On the fourth attempt, uh, he found a channel and reached his men. And when he got there, to his surprise, he discovered that his crewmen were waiting for him. Their supplies were all packed and ready to board. And he asked them how to be ready for him, and they told him they didn't know when he'd return. Uh, but they were sure that he would. And so every morning, the leader rolled up his bag, packed his gear, and said, come on, boys, let's get ready, because the boss might come today. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, may you grant that we would be ready. Grant, O Lord, we would not procrastinate or delay what you call us to do. May we be found faithful when the Master returns. Lord, strengthen our hearts. Make us people of grit. Give us endurance. Whatever your will has ordained for this time in our lives and in our world. For we pray in Christ's name.